Thank you, choir. That reminds me of when I was a child going to church. I love that. I absolutely love that. Please turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament. And if you have a Bible, I encourage you to bring it over the next few weeks as we start a new series. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to take a look at 5, 6, 7, 8, a little bit of 9 also, just to kind of look at an overview of this series, a new series on the Sermon on the Mount. The pastoral staff has been praying and talking about immersing ourselves in the Gospels. And what better way to do that than to look deep into the greatest sermon ever communicated, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, it tells us how to live the Christian life and how it is concretely different than the world. And we hear a lot about that in the church. In, in the church I grew up in, there was a lot of talk about this is the way to live your life, not like the world. However, the Sermon on the Mount also teaches us that the Christian life is also distinct from religious life, from religion. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is God's word for us today. I've lived in the South Bay for 50 years. And my parents, they taught me to have good manners and to be respectful, to study hard, and to save your money. I gave my life to Jesus when I was six years old. And the church that I was attending taught me the practice of living the Christian life a certain way. We were to talk a certain way. Our actions were to be a certain way, different than the world. Our behavior was the... the, the same way that we were taught in church and different from the world, our dress had to be a certain way, especially on Sunday morning. I remember, I remember walking or, or going to church on a Sunday morning. I had a baseball game right after. In fact, I had to leave a little bit early. So I had my baseball uniform on. 
and my ball cap on. And as I was walking into the worship center, one of the elders, dressed in a dark suit with a tie, stopped me and took my ball cap off and said, put that in your pocket. And I thought, what's the big deal? So all of you wearing hats, as I see out there, <clears throat> we can only listen to certain music, or we were taught to listen to certain music in TV shows and movies, and, and we were told always attend church on Sunday morning. And we were taught this is different than the world's practice. I met Jesus there. It was, a, it was an important church for me. It is an important church for me. And then as a teenager, I explored a way of life that was different than the Christian life. And uh, the, the ways I learned in my early years, I didn't follow that. In high school, I ran around with the jocks and the surfers and the student council and the popular crowd. And there were parties, and we stayed out all night, and sports was big in my life. Early morning dawn patrol, surf safaris up and down the coast, and anyone I ran into became my friend. And I earned a reputation for not living the Christian life that I was taught my early years in church. One Saturday night at a beach party, I started talking to a girl, and I sensed a chemistry between us. And I asked her if she wanted to, she wanted to go out. I said, would you go surfing with me tomorrow morning? That was my idea of a date back then. I, I, don't, I thought it was good. She said yes, which was good news. Even better news, she said yes, but only if we go to church too. And I said to her, I'll never forget this. I said, we were sitting around this fire, and I said, I didn't know you were religious. And she said, I'm not religious. I just love Jesus. And I never forgot that. That morning, that next morning, immediately after a surf with sand and salt still caked on my feet, we went to a church service. We sang worship songs to a guitar. I've never done that before. And I heard a man talk about the Bible in such relatable terms that I tried not to let anyone know that I was crying. And I met people just like me. And later, we went to a small group that met in a home. I've never done that before either. And I met a bunch of people who were so honest about their lives and their shortcomings in their lives, mistakes that they made. They asked for prayer, and people prayed for them. They talked about in vulnerable ways how they loved Jesus so much and their desire to worship God with their whole life. And I was hooked and wanted to give my whole life to leading people to Jesus. And so I did. I didn't want to teach people how to practice the Christian life. I didn't want to be a religious person. I didn't want to teach religion. I just gave my whole life to leading people to Jesus. That girl that reintroduced me to Jesus, she saved my life. She reintroduced me to Jesus and she introduced me to my wife. I'll never forget her. As you read the Gospels, what you're going to notice is that Jesus was kind and he was patient and he was understanding with people who were living 
a worldly life, a different life. But he was, as you read the Gospels, it always interests me. As you read the Gospels, Jesus was hostile and sharp with those people who were, who were religious. Let's take a look at the Sermon on the Mount and just make some observations as we begin this series. The, the first observation we can make is about the Sermon. As we begin, you have to envision what was happening here. There's this snowballing interest in Jesus' ministry leading up to this point in Matthew chapter 5. He's been traveling around Galilee and teaching in the synagogues. And crowds of people were following and hoping to get healed of their sicknesses and diseases. And, and just by word of mouth, there was no print advertising, no any other communication, but just by word of mouth, the news of Jesus is reaching people far and wide to the outer areas. And Jesus, with all these crowds following him, walks up to a hillside, the mount, and he sits down, according to verse 1. In the midst of this escalating popularity, Jesus climbs a hill and he sits down, which is the customary teaching position of rabbis at that time. Now the audience is is important to know about too. The audience is probably two groups. There's an inner circle of disciples and an outer circle of the crowds. If you look at verse 1, it says, He taught his disciples. But if you look at the end of the sermon, so just go to the right up to uh, chapter 7, verse 28. It says, when Jesus was finished saying these things, the crowds, and so in the beginning we read about the disciples, but in the end we read about the crowds were amazed at his teaching. So it was clear that the crowds were listening and Jesus, that Jesus wanted them to listen, even though it appears that the sermon is primarily addressed to his disciples. Now, that's the way our Sunday morning worship is designed. We gather in this large group to worship God, and we design our services to prepare and to strengthen and inspire worship in the in, in life in, of, of God in his people. Now, we pray that the Holy Spirit draws the curious and the seeker and the onlookers and the, the doubters and the skeptical who come to Nova the way the crowds gathered behind Jesus as he was teaching his disciples. And we believe in the Spirit-inspired communication of the Word of God that has the power to speak to not just his followers, but the curious also, the truth of Jesus, even when it's primarily addressed to his followers. And so I encourage you, Sunday morning, bring your friends and your family, the curious, the doubters, the unbelievers, the unchurched. Bring them. And some of you are here today. I'm so glad that you're here. The main topic is something that's interesting also. We'll talk more about this next week. But the main topic is the kingdom of heaven. You're going to hear that a lot throughout the next few weeks, more than a few weeks. But we'll talk more about the kingdom of heaven next week. Now, the purpose and the structure is important. So, I really want you to pay attention to this because I think this is important. Turn your Bibles just to the left of where you're at probably to Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Chapter 4, verse 23. And you're going to notice a summary statement of Jesus' ministry. Let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. 
Okay, now go to the right and turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And as you turn, you're going to find that there's a Sermon on the Mount and there's some other stuff right past that. Matthew 9, 35. So we, I just read you Matthew 4, 23, if you can remember that. 9.35 is almost verbatim what we found in the same summary. Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Our question here is, why would he say that at 4.23 and at 9.35? There must be something in between that. Well, of course it is. When we look and see what's sandwiched between these two summary statements, the uh, descriptions of Jesus' ministry, what we see are two major sections. If you look at, um, from 435, you look at chapter 5, 6, and 7, that's what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And then 8 and 9 are accounts of Jesus' healing ministry. And so what we have here is a five-chapter unit designed by Matthew to present to us some typical teaching of the Lord concerning the way of the kingdom. That's the Sermon on the Mount. That's what that's about, five through seven, the way of the kingdom. And then eight and nine tell, talks to us, speaks to us about the power of the kingdom. Two sections that's bookended by these scriptures that appear to be the same the way of the kingdom, and the power of the kingdom. Now, the value of seeing it this way warns us against treating any little piece in this section in isolation. And Matthew is the writer here, and he's putting his material together in a particular way for a particular purpose. Now, we're calling this series the Upside-Down Kingdom. And this is what this series is about, we'll have many opportunities to unpack what this means, but let's just take a, a, a stab at it today as we, as we kind of look at a survey of the Sermon on the Mount. Now at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 7, verse 13 and the following verses, Jesus is giving a conclusion to a sermon, and Jesus says this, if you just kind of look at 7.13 and the following verses, he says there are two there are two paths. He says there are two trees and there are two houses. And so he's concluding his sermon here and he's saying there are two. There are two paths, one that leads to life and one that leads to destruction. He says there are two trees. One tree has good fruit and the one other tree has poison fruit, bad fruit. He says there are two houses. One is built on the rock and one is built on the Sand, yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's two. Jesus says there's two. Now, the conventional understanding of the Sermon on the Mount is this. This is conventionally. As we read the Sermon on the Mount, you, you, maybe you taught it, we're taught that in Sunday school, whatever, as you read it. You read it and you say, okay, I get it. The sermon is about obey God, not disobey God. But if, if this is the summary in conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has had to talk about the two in the sermon, right? The, the subject of the two in the sermon, right? Yes, yes, the answer is yes, okay? <laughs> I know you're with me somewhere, somewhere. I, 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 I'm trying to make this as exciting as the game this afternoon, okay? 
Here's a good question. Is the Sermon on the Mount a sermon on how I should live the Christian life? Or is it, is it a sermon contrasting two ways? In the sermon, Jesus does not say, here are people who obey God and here are people who disobey God. He does not say that. And he doesn't say, here are people who pray and here are people who don't pray. He doesn't say, here are people who give and here are people who don't give. He doesn't say, here are people who follow the Ten Commandments and here are people who don't follow the Ten Commandments. The hard part about the sermon, the mystery of the Sermon on the Mount is they look the same. Two trees look the same. Two roads look the same. Two paths, they look the same. Two houses on the outside, they look the same. But one's built on a rock, one's built on sand, and you can't see that from the outside. Jesus says this, don't mistake Christianity from religious living. He says this, kingdom people pray. Hey, so do the religious. Kingdom people give. So do the religious. Kingdom people worship and so do the religious. So what's the difference here? If that's the point, what's the difference? Many people say, you know what? I thought Christianity was all about living a moral life. To read the Bible and to go to church. I think that's all Christianity is about. And if that's all you think Christianity is about, you've missed it. Because that's not all of it. So let's do this. Let's take a sort of a a, a, a 30,000 foot view of the Sermon on the Mount and let's, let's ask ourselves how kingdom people are different than religious people and we'll just sort of set the scene for the Sermon on the Mount and then we'll go back starting next week and take it word verse by verse and go all the way through. It'll take us, the Sermon on the Mount with breaks through Easter and some other holidays is going to take us from today all the way to the end of June. It's going to be six months we're going to be immersed in the gospel of the, of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's begin by just taking a survey. How kingdom people are different than religious people. Number one, by their engagement with the world. This is how kingdom people are different than religious people. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. If that salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? If it's like that, it's no longer good for anything. You might as well just walk on it. But you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill can't be hidden. And neither do people light a lamp and they put a bowl over it. Instead, they light that lamp and they put it up and so it illuminates everybody in the house in the same way. Let that light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your heavenly Father. Notice here that there are two kinds of salt and there's two kinds of light. There is... It's not light and darkness. That's not what it is right here. There is a light that's useful and a light that is hidden. And kingdom people, kingdom people are attracted to and attractive to people that they don't agree with. I'll say that again because I think that's an important point here. And I'll, and I'll, I'll. Kingdom people are attracted, E-D, attracted to, an attractive, I-V-E, to people they don't agree with. Unbelievers, 
people who don't believe that God exists. Religious people, however, are turned off by and alienating to people who they don't agree with. You see, salt was primarily used as a preservative in that day. I think you've heard this before. You put salt on food that's decomposing, the, the meat and the vegetables, things like that. Salt was used to preserve food that was decomposing and falling apart. And kingdom people, if that's right, kingdom people see people and neighborhoods that are falling apart, and they go to that, that neighborhood. They go to that person, and they're salt, and so they're trying to preserve that. It's sort of like what we do when we twice a month when we feed the hungry in North Gardena. I was just driving past that, that St. John, John's Lutheran Church just this last week. And um, boy, that, there's, there's brokenness in that neighborhood and there's, there's light in that neighborhood and, and there's just a lot of need that that place has. Twice a month on a Friday night, we go and we, we, uh, we bring food and we feed people who are who are, we're finding that are broken, are falling apart. Once a month with laundry love, the poor in the South Bay go to a laundromat in West Torrance and we bring quarters and love and help and, and care to these people. We're going to build a house in Mexico if we can raise enough money to someone. You saw pictures just before worship started you saw pictures of this family that, that has a house to live in now. Religious people have light, but they hide it. They put it under, under a bowl. They only want to gather with their own crowd. They don't want, they're afraid. They're turned off by people who don't agree with them. When you're around kingdom people, you feel better. You feel accepted. You feel loved. You don't feel judged. When you're around religious people, you feel condemned. You feel worse. You feel lower. You don't feel like you measure up. I, I was thinking about this. This isn't the only way, but I was thinking about this the, just this week. I was thinking one way to assess whether you're a kingdom person or a religious person is, is what you think about the city, Los Angeles. Because when you go to the city, the first thing you see is brokenness broken streets and graffiti and trash and broken people and homeless people and and old dirty buildings and see brokenness pastor martin bowman and i we went to a meeting in inglewood of a friend that we have an african-american pastor who's who brought together other pastors from the city and we went to breakfast there in inglewood and and i and i wanted to drive not on the freeway on the way home, but just through the city. And as we were driving through the city, we're just looking and watching and seeing neighborhoods move from more of a predominantly African-American neighborhood to a, looks like a Korean neighborhood, to a Hispanic neighborhood. And, and you see people walking around on the street and you see um, different cultures. You see the struggle of hardworking people you see the brokenness. You see the affluence, and then you see the poor sort of right next to each other. You see the graffiti, and you sense the energy. And, and we both said, look how beautiful the city is. Religious people say, I talked to a person this week who lives in South Orange County, 
and I was talking to him about how beautiful the city is as I've experienced it recently. And he said, I don't want anything to do with that. I want to be as far away from that as I can. Kingdom people are different than religious people by their engagement with the world. Second thing we can look at as we see the Sermon on the Mount is, is if we want to understand how kingdom people are different than religious people, number two is by their understanding of their heart. By the understanding of their heart. If you take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus said this, the people were floored. Because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were obedient. That was their big deal. They came up with 635 little laws, little rules that they must follow from the scriptures. And it was their full-time job. They didn't do anything else but to follow the law. And so the people were asking themselves probably, so how do we surpass the ones whose full-time job is to obey the law? How do we surpass those guys? And Jesus answers the question in the next few verses with going through the Ten Commandments. He just sort of goes through the Ten Commandments. And he uses this phrase over and over again, You have heard it was said, do not murder. And then he says, but I tell you. And then he explains it. He says, you heard it was said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you. And he just goes on and on and on. And what Jesus is saying here is that you religious people are so concerned with the external And Jesus says, I'm most concerned with your heart. You might look like you're obeying the law, but your heart is cold. Rather, turn your heart to me, and then the external is going to follow after that. In in chapter 5, verse 20, when Jesus says, you must surpass the religious people, he's saying, I want you to have your heart transformed by me. I think a lot of Christians are following the Ten Commandments. They're not murdering, they're not committing adultery, they're not lying, but they're doing it out of fear and out of pride. And there's no change of heart. We're going to address this in this series. Kingdom people are different than religious people by their engagement with the world, by their understanding of their heart, and the last one is this. They're different. Kingdom people are different than religious people by their relationship with God the Father by their relationship with God the Father. Many religious people are trying to earn their way into the family of God by trying to be obedient to the Sermon on the Mount. But all through the Sermon on the Mount, as you read it, and I I hope you read it in these next few weeks, it'll take you about 10 or 12 minutes, but all through the Sermon on the Mount you read, you can live like this if you know that God's your Father. Chapter 5, verse 16 tells us that the reason you're going to let your light shine is because God's your Father. And in chapter 6, verses 25 and 26, one of the great passages of Scripture in all the Gospels, Jesus says, why are you worrying? Don't worry. You have to stop worrying. And so so people hear that and they go, oh, I've got to stop worrying. Oh, no, I've got to stop worrying. That's the wrong way to do it, right? 
Instead, Jesus says, don't do that. Just remember that your heavenly Father values you more than the birds of the air. You've got a Father that cares for you. The Sermon on the Mount is impossible unless you understand your value to the Father. The Sermon on the Mount assumes your value to the Father. Religious people, they strive for value. They grasp and they, they grab value. They try to give as much as they can so that other people will see and say, wow, you're valuable. They pray with so many words so that people say, wow, you know how to pray. God must really love you. Kingdom people obey God because they're valued by the Father, not seeking to try to earn value, but because you know you're valued. When I was a teenager, I, was, uh, I, I got a, a truck. I was driving a, for those of you who know, Datsun. I, I had a Datsun little truck. It was a great little truck. That's Nissan for, for those of you who don't understand Datsun. It was the first rain of the season. It was in October after a long, hot summer. And the roads were slick, you know, it rains, and then the oil comes up, and the roads were slick. And there was nothing, you know, I was a truck, so there's no weight on the back. And so I could, you know, if I hit my brakes hard, I could just slide. And I was driving down the street right at 182nd and Hawthorne, and, and two cars in front of me, um, a car stopped suddenly, two cars in front of me, and the car that I was following um, hit that car and brake and, and braked suddenly, and then I hit my brakes and I slid and hit him, got in an accident. First thing I thought of was, my dad is going to kill me. <laughs> First thing. It was a, it was a new, new truck. And I was so afraid. My dad, he was a, a hard man. He wanted me to, you know, he taught me certain things. He wanted me to fall, and I didn't always do that. Oh, I was so afraid. I, I drove the truck home. I barely got home. I was very close to home. I drove it home. I went in the house. My dad, he was in his customary position in his chair watching the Lakers or somebody. <clears throat> and I thought, oh, no, oh, no. I was so scared. I had tears in my eyes. I was so scared. And I said, Dad, I got in an accident. The first thing he said, I didn't expect it. He said, are you okay? I thought he was going to say something about the truck or how I'm a foolish person for driving fast when it was raining and all of the stuff that I thought he was going to say. He says, are you okay? He jumps up and he says, are you okay? And I thought to myself, I'm valued by my father. That changed everything in, in my life at that point. My dad values me not my truck. And he got up and we called the insurance guy together and did all that. He walked me through. I'm valued by my father and I didn't even know it. And you know what? I was so motivated to be a good son because I was valued by my father. Kingdom people are different than religious people. By their relationship with the world, by their Understand, by their engagement with the world, by the understanding of their heart, and by their relationship with their Father. I have two points of application for you. They're not in your notes. The first point is this. Relax. Relax. If 
you have the kingdom of heaven. Relax. See how valued you are by the Father. Don't worry about following the Ten Commandments and doing the right thing and not wearing hats in church and dressing the right way. And don't relax and rest in the value of the Heavenly Father. Second point of application is this. If you don't have the kingdom of heaven, turn your heart over to Jesus and begin to see how the Father loves you. I'm so excited for this series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to take a look at the Gospels and we're just going to bathe ourselves in it. We're going to just immerse yourself in it it'll change your life let's pray together let's all stand father thank you so much that you're the father of all those who call on the name of jesus father help us to relax Help us to understand our hearts and your heart for us. God, help us to see that if we've been involved in the actions of a religious person versus a kingdom person. And God, I'm, I'm thankful that over the next few months, the effective and anointed communication of the gospel will change hearts and minds. We pray for this, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll see you on the plaza.